Good afternoon, and welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Will Murphy, News Director at WFIU, filling in for the usual host, Herald Times Editor Bob Zaltzberg, who is out for the next week or two, and we wish him well. He's yes, we recovering. do. Yep. We have uh, in the studio with us, of course, Mary Catherine Carmichael. Thanks for being here, Mary Catherine. My pleasure. And we have uh, two guests with us, and we're going to be talking about transportation in the Bloomington area and how it affects what we do, how we live, how we plan, all that sort of thing. Our two guests include uh, Buff Brown, somebody who may be known to folks who are listening uh, as the patriarch of a uh, famous singing quartet, uh, very involved and uh, trained in the uh, area of uh, public transportation. And uh, also in the studio with us is uh, Steve Bolin, uh, city councilman from District 6. Thank you, from District 6. And thanks very much for coming in on what is technically a holiday weekend. We appreciate it. Thanks for having You're us. You're welcome. Uh, if you'd like to join us for this discussion of uh, public transportation, the number is to call in Bloomington, 855-0811, or outside the Bloomington area, 877-285-9348. And you can also submit uh, email questions or comments, and that address is noon at indiana.edu. Now, Buff, you are involved in a group. I don't know if you are, Steve, but Buff, you're involved in this group called BTOP. Maybe you can explain what that is and what the sort of goal of, of that group is. Sure. Uh, BTOP stands for uh, Bloomington Transportation Options for People. And it's kind of been named after an organization that was very effective up in the Portland area um, called STOP. And... Um, we have a mission statement, and I can read that for you. It's to bring about a more sustainable—excuse me—to bring about a more sustainable culture, and urban form, and a higher quality of life to Bloomington citizens through improved alternatives to driving a car. And I think, in general, we're talking about uh, a number—a number of different things. First, we we have some environmental concerns and sustainability concerns. So we're looking at, you know, changing the car culture that we have, and that can be done through urban form changes, urban planning, and also tra changes to our uh, transportation system. And Steve, what's your interest in this topic? Well, I'm not a member of BTOP, but I'm following what they're doing with great interest. I mean, I uh, represent the centermost district of the city. Uh, district 6 is the only district that doesn't touch one of the outside boundaries of the of the city. Uh, I represent everyone uh, between 1st and 17th Street from Walnut Street East uh, to uh, halfway through the IU campus. A lot of my constituents are residents of residence halls. Um, I don't own a car. I live downtown, and I hear about downtown issues all the time. Um, I walk everywhere nowadays when I can't get a ride, of course. Um, and uh, so issues of, say, downtown traffic, parking, uh, congestion, these are all issues that are of interest to me. Um, mass transit, buses, you know, I've only in the past couple of years have I really started to uh, ride the Bloomington and IU bus systems. And so all these issues are right at the top of my mind. I remember coming to Bloomington, uh, gosh, what would it be? It would be... Uh 12 years ago and just being maddened by the street design in this community. If you're driving a 27-foot U-Haul uh, and you're trying to go down Rockport Road or trying to negotiate the one-way streets, the transportation in this community can sometimes be very infuriating to folks who just, just come to town. The uh, first thing that I think of when you say that is uh, how the road names change, how you know one Winslow <laughs> yeah. Road becomes Morris Pike beca or I don't know, I'm yeah. not sure, Country Club <laughs> Road, Tap Road. Naming is a whole other issue, yeah. So yeah. I'm sure we'll get to all that. We actually have a, a caller on the line uh, fairly early in the program, so let's go to Jeff. Good afternoon. I'm afraid I'm probably uh, off topic, but somewhat related, seeing how uh, the topic does cover transportation. I was wondering uh, what you all think about this toll road issue. And is that a done deal? I, I heard it was. I sure hope not. That it was going to be uh, $4.50 uh, from Martinsville to Bloomington. I, I, I'd like to think of it as it ain't over till the fat lady paves. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the other hand, you know, uh, I... I that's who knows. There's a lot of uh, issues that they need to resolve, but I mean, at the rate which uh, the toll road issue got passed through the uh, general assembly this year, 
Uh, it looks like uh, the current administration is uh, perfectly capable of making it happen uh, quickly. So I, your guess is as good as mine on that. Now, we before the show, we were talking about how the discussion is not really going to be about per se, state transportation issues and that kind of thing and interconnectivity between communities. But I would think that a development like uh, the toll road or I-69 would have a massive effect on the kind of planning issues that you're talking about. Yeah, I think I think it really does. I think we can see that um, our national um, policy on transportation, building interstates, for example, has really uh, isolated alternatives and the fact that we um, really focus so much on the car on a, on the on the state and national basis basically uh, precludes uh, to some extent our options in the, in the urban area and um, and I think right now we need to be looking at alternatives as well and I think I, I don't know if a lot of people know this but there is an organization called the Indiana High Speed Rail Association and it's really kind of a subgroup of a, a regional high-speed rail group of a num- of I think seven states that uh, are put that have put together a plan to move people in an, another way other than um, the car. And uh, I think that that uh, could be something that 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 gets on the table in regards to the way we spend that um, that money that comes from these toll roads if, in fact, that does jump all the hurdles it needs to jump. Is investing in high speed between Indy and wherever? It, the plan actually has already been drawn up. Um, and there is a plan. It's about uh, $8 billion uh, price tag. And, but that is to connect all these regional cities. You're talking Chicago, Indianapolis, Louisville, Right, we're talking about like that, Milwaukee, you? we're talking about Columbus, Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio, all of these, uh, Minneapolis, all of these areas, um, all for a price tag that I think sounds pretty good when you're looking at, you know, the cost of connecting just Evansville to Indianapolis, for example. Mm-hmm. Is it viable? I mean, are, are, is it part of, for example, either the city or the county's, is it on their radar? Here locally, it's Wilmington? it's on the INDOT radar. It's uh, it's on all the state DOT radars. Some of the states have spent a significant amount of money on the planning of that process. The planning process. Each state is really looking at their own uh, work to do the environmental um, impact statements and things like that. And uh, there are it's the plan actually has um, the corridors chosen for all the areas so it's it's not just an idea it's a plan and recently uh, Chris Klicka who was the um, commissioner of INDOT is now become the executive director of the Indiana uh, Association which is a nonprofit association trying to you know encourage this but it's it's not yeah. going to be extended to places like say Kokomo or Bloomington it's just going to I mean Columbus I think will be a right. stop on the Rail, but I mean, we're still going to have some issues getting to one of those states. It'll be great if that happens. Right, there's so. not a connection to Bloomington or to Evansville. Uh, we, it's possible to petition the states to do that, and you know, it may eventually get on the plan if there was enough demand. But right now, not in the picture. Mm-mm. Okay, I want to remind our listeners if you want to join in the conversation, we're speaking with City Councilman Steve Volan, and. Uh, Planning guy, I don't know, transportation guy, Buff <laughs> Brown. If you'd like to join in the conversation, 855-0811. Toll free outside the Bloomington area, 877-285-9348. And the email address, if you'd like to offer a comment at your computer, is noon at indiana.edu. And somebody has written in. They have. Um, it says a major transportation problem in Bloomington has been the east-west through routes in town sometimes known as the Kmart to Kmart run. (laughs) Rumor has it that both East and West 3rd Street are going to be redone, though not connected. Is it true that there is a proposal for a roundabout at 3rd and High? These sound like good questions for you, Steve. Yeah, there is. That is my district, actually. My district ends at uh, 3rd and High. And uh, so that whole corridor, I mean, this first came up uh, last year when there was debate about the um, uh, putting a signal at the corner of Atwater and Henderson. Uh, mm-hmm. which is just south of the law school there. Mm-hmm. And um, the administration uh, 
decided that it was important to study the entire corridor uh, before just deciding to put a signal there. The council uh, generally wanted a, a signal there. The administration didn't. Uh, they, they thought that there might be uh, a less uh, dramatic way to make that intersection easier for pedestrians to cross. Um, so they have they decided to study the entire corridor all the way from Dunn to High Street. And the consultant evidently has just finished that study. I haven't had a chance to see it yet, but I have heard that it does call for making uh, uh, one-way streets. Round, there won't be a roundabout in the traditional sense, not a roundabout like we have uh, already in the city. There's not nearly enough land there for it. It would be extraordinarily disruptive to put a real roundabout there. But the um, I have heard that there is uh, uh, that it calls for one-way um, streets on Atwater up to third. And um, so, yeah, I think that there is some roundabout-like uh, plan called for in this thing. I can't tell you that I am really uh, eager to see that, frankly. Why think, is that? Well, if the truth be told, you know, I keep asking myself the question, why, why is Walnut Street one way? Why is College Avenue one way? Do we really need to make cars go faster through town? I mean, that's the most heavily trafficked uh, part of town by all forms of traffic, by pedestrian traffic, by bicycle traffic. Uh, that area down there by 3rd and, uh, and uh, High is pretty heavily trafficked too. It's not quite as uh, high traffic for pedestrians as, uh, say, the downtown area. But I guess my question is, when do we start defining traffic as more than private motorized vehicle traffic? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Steve, let me let me make a comment about that. Um, BTOP did get a chance to talk to the engineer that was looking into that um, that whole corridor, and we made an, a number of recommendations. Of course, we're looking for a change in policy. We're looking for the accommodation of um, transit, bicycles, and things like that. Because when you accommodate cars, you get them. If you accommodate mm-hmm. them by parking, if you accommodate them by high-speed roads, uh, you will get them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and likewise, if you provide transit, you will get transit riders. And so what we're looking at, uh, what we requested or suggested was that 3rd Street actually become a, uh, a bus-only, a dedicated bus-only road or that at least the – um, north Lane of Third Street become dedicated bus that can go all the way around um, clockwise around the campus, and and what people don't realize a lot of times is that uh, if cars you can only move about two thousand of them per hour in a lane, but a bus, I, I say single occupant vehicles you can only move about two thousand people. Let me say it that way. But on a bus, you can move about 9,000 people per hour in the same amount of space. So we're actually using, you know, the least efficient mode of transportation uh, as far as moving people per square foot of land. And if we do that same thing and if we can get some express bus routes that just basically do the Kmart to Kmart run, and actually we think that that is the perfect – um, eventual light rail line between you know east and west sides of town is to run them right up Third uh, Street. Uh, I have a very unpopular idea. I want I want to float, and I want to know if your organization has had this. Uh, anybody who stays in Bloomington over the summertime or over spring break or any of the the school holidays knows that. It's no problem getting around town at those times when you take the student traffic out of the equation. Mm -hmm. So has your group uh, advocated for uh, perhaps an uh, Indiana University policy prohibiting students students to have vehicles? Well, that's that's an interesting question. There are a number of universities that are doing a very – a paradigm shift in the way that they think about moving people to campus. And again – What they're thinking about is let's not make it easier to drive. Let's make it easier to take transit. And so they are not usually choosing um, a particular category of uh, traveler like a student or a faculty. They're just saying, 
you know, ultimately what we want to do is move people um, by transit. So they're offering faculty very inexpensive or free, commonly free transit. But at the same time, they're upping the cost of parking. Mm -hmm. And in the process, the more people you have that desire that parking, the more demand you have for it, the higher price you can get for that. Uh, Now, that sounds really oppressive, but the truth is that many of these programs do what they call a parking cash out, and that is that because parking is so highly subsidized uh, by parking fines or or even by general funds maybe from the university. I don't think that's true in Bloomington. (laughs) But um, but what it it does is um, they pay that difference in price to the employee, their price of parking goes up equivalent and uh, they can then decide if they want to give themselves a raise, virtually a raise, to, to look for an alternative trans, transportation mode to, to campus. And it's working significantly well. Um, I have some data here on University of Michigan that says that they have um, – saved 1,300 parking spaces, the construction of that many parking spaces, and they've saved $17 million in construction costs, and they've seen a threefold uh, ridership increase in their transit system. And uh, Indiana, unfortunately, hasn't quite grasped this. They've done it for students, but again, they haven't done it for faculty yet, given the the full free transit and uh, they're building more parking. Mm-hmm. They're making progress, though. I mean, the fact that the uh, IU bus system and the city bus system are now all but unified, mm-hmm. that was a tremendous step forward. The fact that we had two systems made me question it for years, but that was a, a great innovation. Um, there, it, it's going to take some time for people to, uh, the, especially decision makers, to accept the idea that people are willing to ride buses before you can get 9,000 an hour. You've got to get people onto the buses. But I think the best way to do it is through market forces. If you if it costs more to park, then you're going to start seeing people riding. Uh, when I owned a car, I would look for any excuse I possibly could to drive. I'm lazy. I admit it. I am addicted to cars. I admit it. And I would try and drive from the square to the student building. And uh, uh, I couldn't find a place to park. It was actually easier to walk. It was faster to walk. And only that way did I find myself getting out of my car, did I find myself walking everywhere. It took a long time for me to convert to that. So I don't blame people for being reticent. It takes time to do that. But the economic incentives have to be in place for that sort of thing to happen. Okay. Before uh, we go any further with that, and I'm sure we'll come back to it, we have some folks who have been waiting on the line very patiently. And we thank them for that. Let's go to Sarah first. Okay. I'm sorry, we're having some trouble with the uh, phone quality there. Uh, Mark, is Mark on the line? Yes, hello. Uh, first of all, first of all, I'm just as kind of background. I'm from Athens, Ohio, originally. Yay, Bob Getz. But anyway, uh, I had visited Athens uh, about a year ago or so with my friend. And basically, it's, it's a small town. I don't know if you know about Athens. Yes. It's a small little town Quite well. having Ohio University and everything like that. Uh, very quaint, very rustic, very, very nice. But anyway, um, I noticed the only big thing they had done in like 20 years is build a roundabout. So basically, you can go from Route 50 to Route 33, which is very good. Now, my question is, why has Bloomington grown so huge in 20 years? Now, for example, I, I came here when Breaking Away was released, and so therefore I have it on DVD that Breaking Away shows Athens, or shows Bloomington uh, in the late 70s. And basically it's a small little town, very similar to Athens. But now it has grown very big. Now, I live in Arbor Glen Apartments, which is, used to be Willow Manor. And back in the 80s, Willow Manor used to be in the country. Now it is, at the very least, a suburb. And I was just wondering why they feel they have to really build up big, because I personally like 
uh, small towns and everything like that. Obviously, it's not as big as Indianapolis or some such nonsense, but basically, you know, it's really uh, uh, kind of grown out of control in a lot of ways. Well, uh, let me correct you on a couple of things. First of all, I'm not sure that uh, Bloomington necessarily sought people to come here. It just plain grew. By the time Breaking Away won the Oscar in 1980 for Best Screenplay, Bloomington itself had just been classified by the federal government as a metropolitan area. It had exceeded 50,000 people. There are a couple of dozen cities around the country that are considered – that I consider to be college-driven metropolitan areas. They're so big you just can't call them college towns anymore. Bloomington is now 70,000 people. Whereas Athens is, um, I, I had a, a friend. I have a friend in Athens who says that it's at forty thousand, but the oh, wow. populate the population record that I have says it's at twenty one thousand. Indeed. And uh, indeed. Well, I'm guessing uh, it's like uh, forty thousand with students. That's that's correct. Forty thousand with students. <clears throat> and whereas is the seventy thousand with students? It is, but the permanent population of students in Bloomington, when you count the summer, is at least. I mean, there's there's maybe twenty five thousand who come and go, and a good twelve to fifteen thousand who stay mm-hmm. during the summertime who basically live here. Okay, but I I understand that. But basically, I've noticed that, for example, summer sessions are so uh, spread out now that basically uh, the the uh, uh, town's population has been has been increased or what have you. Uh, just because students are in town and what have you. And it used to be that Bloomington was very much like Athens in the summer, where it was perfectly almost dead because there were no students. The simple fact is, sir, the Bloomington has grown. It's just plain grown. It's a, it's, it, the IU has twice as many students as Ohio University does. It's not part of the Big Ten for nothing. <laughs> there, are, there are communities like Boulder, for example, that uh, haven't really grown, but the limitations on what you can do in those communities are profound. Yeah. Well, I mean, Boulder actually is much bigger than than Bloomington. It's uh, at least three hundred thousand people. But the uh, city the area, uh, that that precious area around the university, I'm saying, is it, they've limited how that can be developed, and it it, it doesn't expand. It just sort of sort of stays as it's like brick just gets more expensive. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But I do think that we we have to re relook at the way that we plan. If you look at our ordinances right now and what gets developed, it's all if it's commercial, it has very high parking rates, and mm-hmm. it becomes mm-hmm. and it automatically sprawls. If you look at residential ordinances, as far as all uh, the different um, densities that you can build at um, according to the zoning laws. They're really all low density. The highest density you can build residentially is is seven for single-family homes, seven units per acre. That still is considered low density. Until you get up to 10 to 15 units per acre is when you can really support transit well and when you can actually start walking places because and also you need a mixed use and we don't really have that either so to some degree our ordinances are sprawl ordinances they encourage and uh, that kind of development and if you really want the, the density necessary for public transit you have to do a PUD and you have to go through an enormous amount of um, mm-hmm. of effort to uh, to make that happen okay we have uh, uh, another triad sayer here. She's uh, called back and hopefully is on the line this time. Hi. Hello. Go ahead. Um, I'm a bicyclist and I am an environmentalist as well, and I really applaud the discussion you guys had earlier about public transportation and stuff, but I do love my autonomy, and I think that's most of the reason why people rely so heavily on cars. Mm-hmm. And I just cannot figure out what the holdup is on getting bike lanes throughout the city, and I've, I've asked this of every politician I've ever met in Bloomington, and no one's ever given me a good answer, and it seems like everybody wants them, and it's such an easy thing to do. Um, what's the holdup, or what's the plan for getting, because I think most people would ride a bike if they didn't fear for their life doing it. The first time I ever encountered a, a real bike lane was on the campus of uh, uh, University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana. Uh, I was warned by my guide not to stand in the bike lane. They had they had a separate lane on the campus just for bikes that went along with the road, and the lane was separated by four-inch high concrete pylons separated by a couple of feet. 
And I said, what are you talking about? And sure enough, I almost got run over by somebody on his bike at a good 20, 25 miles an hour. I mean, they, it's a high speed. This is a real commuting lanes on the campus. But I think that they have them there because uh, the campus unilaterally made that decision. It's a lot harder to get that decision to happen in a, in a city. Uh, I wish I could say that it was as easy as it appears to just put a bike lane in. You've got a lot of other people who are interested in other forms of transit like, say, uh, you know, the bike lanes on Washington Street, you know, I, I'm not too impressed by them because you can open a door and a car door and get uh, knocked out by somebody. Yeah. Um, I would love to see that kind of dedicated path. But right now, I think the city is concentrating on things like the, uh, the new Beeline Trail, which uh, will definitely provide that kind of uh, opportunity for people who want to ride their bike. But uh, I think we could probably do more, uh, I, you know, to... to uh, Commit to uh, dedicated bicycle. It seems to usage. me that that uh, when John Fernandez at the end of his administration, there was discussion of a highway project on the bypass mm-hmm. that was going to involve uh, a distinct bicycle path that had that median separation. Is there's is that still on the table? Do you know? Yeah, that's still on the table. That, Will that, it happen? Yeah, if they build I sixty nine, I think it'll happen. Um, mm-hmm. Now. Let me answer, also give Sarah an answer here, um, and that is that I, I have been working very diligently, I think, with the transportation agencies in the area, uh, looking at their long-range transportation plan, which I find to be um, – it gives a little uh, – it discusses bike lanes and things like that, but – when it comes down to actually what are you going to prioritize and 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 spend the money on, it, it always tends to be roads, unfortunately. There was a greenways plan put together a number of years ago. I was on the committee on that, and uh, a, a number of us introduced a lot of what we call connectors, which are those little things that connect a, one road through somebody's yard, unfortunately, sometimes, um, to another road. But but what they lead to is just a great alternative to driving beside speeding cars. And these exist at the end of Maxwell Lane. You'll find them at the end of um, a number of different roads in town that make this little connection between two houses to another road. They're, they're fantastic. I think we offered them 20 or 25 different options of these connectors that would just be absolutely great to move entire neighborhoods, um, to move them to the to town or to the mall. Uh, none of those were adopted in the Greenways plan. And uh, also there is a fear of using eminent domain for these things. Now, uh, they'll Especially do it f- now. They'll do it for cars, but, they, but for bikes, they're just – there's a feeling that it's it's not worth it for bikes, and I, I feel like that's that's an unfortunate um, uh, kind of development. Yeah, or kind of a, an unfortunate way of thinking that our leadership has. Okay, we're going to have to pause there for a moment and come back to this and other uh, aspects of this question. We're talking with uh, Buff Brown and Steve Bolin about uh, transportation, specifically alternative transportation in the Bloomington area. If you'd like to join us, you can give us a call, 855-0811, toll-free outside the Bloomington area, 877-285-9348, or you can join us by sending an email to noon at indiana.edu. We'll take a break and be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2, owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info. This evening at North Christian Church in Columbus at 7 o'clock, musical meditations on the Passion. At the Buskirk Chumley Theater, it's the IU Soul Review performing tonight at 8. At the John Waldron Arts Center, Windfall Dancers presents the Dance Roots of Rock at 8 o'clock. 
Holy Spirit on Grand Avenue continues at the Bloomington Playwrights Project, Mamma Mia plays on at the IU Auditorium, and at the IU Theater, a chorus line opens in a production directed by George Penny, who directed it 19 years ago. These and many other events available on our website at wfiu.indiana.edu. Good afternoon and welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Will Murphy filling in for Herald Times editor Bob Salzberg along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. And we have two guests this afternoon. They include Buff Brown and City Councilman Steve Volan. And the topic under discussion is uh, alternative transportation in the Bloomington area. We thought uh, after coming back from the break, we'd go into a a little discussion about this event that you've got coming up on uh, Monday, someone coming in to talk about the very issues we're discussing uh, this afternoon. Yes, uh, this is Dr. Donald Shoup. He's a UCLA professor of urban planning. He has a a PhD in economics from Yale, and he has focused so much of his work in the last 20 years on the economics of parking. And parking, of course, is a huge issue, both uh, for the city, which oh, yeah. is... Uh, which is <laughs> oh, boy, yes, is it big. Exactly. And it's also a very big topic for um, IU. And so we, uh, our group decided, the BTOP, decided to uh, bring in the expert of experts, Donald Shoup, and he is coming on Monday... He will be speaking. Uh, he will have a public forum in the evening from 7 to 9 p.m. Both of these are occurring at the uh, city hall at the ch- uh, ca- council in chambers. The council chambers, that's right. And there is another one in the afternoon at 1.30. The 1.30 one we're bringing in of a, lo- a lot of officials and uh, people are coming from a number of southern Indiana towns, planners in general, but we also have some mayors coming to these. And uh, so we'll. And he's also speaking in Indianapolis in the morning, isn't he? That's right. He's speaking in Indianapolis at nine in the morning at the Indiana Government Center. Can you lay out sort of uh, uh, his general take on how parking has ramifications in terms of transportation, in terms of uh, housing affordability? Uh, in this listing that you're, you've got here, it's a uh, there's a discussion of social equity. I mean, how are these things tied in? It's a very complicated thing, and I think that's one reason why we're giving him two hours to explain it. But ultimately, his bottom line is regarding parking requirements. The muni- almost all cities in the 50s and 60s, and even some in earlier than that, developed uh, minimum parking requirements. And they're mm-hmm. based on a price of zero you know, free parking. What would the demand of parking be and what do you need to supply to meet that demand at zero price for that particular use? And uh, what, what that eventually created was that every time a building was built, it required a sea of parking around it and that parking was free because, you know, if you look at the supply and demand curve, the supply was larger than the demand would ever be mm-hmm. at a price of zero. And so he's saying that what's that's done, uh, if you look at the – if you want the, the sprawl issues, of course, is, is, uh, is obvious. It's just going to cause a, a huge sea of parking. But the transportation choices, because you're not paying for that parking, you're paying for it in your rent, in the goods that you purchase, um, you – uh, you um, subsidize another right it's it's virtually subsidized to the tune of what he says is about three billion dollars a year and um, it it skews your choices and uh, it basically eliminates your ability to walk because the distances between these buildings are mm-hmm. are so far now, as far as equity is concerned let me just touch on that really quickly is that that uh, people that are poor uh, generally can't afford a car, and if they can, it's an it's enormous um, liability for them. And uh, what this parking does is eventually eliminate the success of your transit. You know, it it has great uh, detrimental effects to the the transit system because it can't support transit, and so you they lose their ability to move around town. We have some indi- uh, some 
information here that says, for example, Boston, which is really sprawled outside the, the you know, the central business district, uh, it takes only 10 percent of the jobs of the entry-level jobs are, of, are reachable within one hour by public transit in, from the, um, you know, the real Center. urban areas. Wow. And, uh, you know, so what we've done is kind of dissolve it by creating enormous amounts of free parking. I should say here just for the record that while I'm personally looking forward to uh, Dr. Shoup's speech on Monday, uh, and it's in the city council chambers, uh, it's not necessarily being sponsored by the city council, I certainly encourage every one of my colleagues to go and everyone in the public to attend these meetings because I think they're very important. I just wanted to say that for the record. Okay, thank you. We have a caller on the line. We also have a stack of emails here that we need to get to. Let's get to John very quickly. John? Yes. Good afternoon. Uh, I've noticed that on the southwest side of town, uh, Tap Road uh, Country Club takes a lot of traffic and a lot of congestion there during rush hours. Are there any plans to move Gordon Pike on through to 37th? Yes. That is in the long-range transportation plan. Long-range meaning how long? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I can't, couldn't tell you what year it is planned for, but it is definitely... The long-range plan is a 25-year plan. Uh, I see. That doesn't mean that it will be 25 years, no. but it's somewhere. No, in I there. believe that's, that's early in the plan. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you, John. We have, as I say, a stack of emails here, only about uh, 17 or 18 minutes and almost as many emails, it seems like. So why don't we <laughs> we are very popular. Let's uh, put a dent in them. All right. Here we go. This first one is for Buff. Can you discuss some examples that exist now in other cities of the types of things BTOP envisions for transportation in Bloomington? How do you get people from rural Monroe, Brown, Green, et cetera, uh, other, other counties in and out of Bloomington with less frequent use of autos? And if you want to talk about some some more speculative, not yet tried ideas, that would be interesting too. <laughs> well, let me, uh, let me be, I'll have to answer all of these fairly quickly, but Portland, Oregon is the dream for transportation and planning. It has avoided sprawl, it has great transit, and it has done exactly what Shoup says, and that is it has put a parking maximum rather than a parking minimum on their downtown development, saying that you can't build parking. You can build this building, but you can't build parking for it because that encourages people to use the transit. And we're going to fund the transit so that people can use it and because so it's efficient and it's effective. And Ann Arbor is a great current uh, um, town that is similar size to us that I think we should be modeling our work after. They're doing the same kind of thing. You can build an apartment complex three stories high without any off-street parking whatsoever. Their, their, develop, their downtown developments are great. Their, their transit runs till 10.30. Ours runs till 8.30. Uh, and I, I, th I think there's, those are good examples of that. Meanwhile, uh, I have a, uh, the owner of an apartment building who called me recently, it's in my district, saying that uh, when he built his building, he was required uh, to provide a certain parking minimum, mm -hmm. and that included buying something like uh, 15 to 20 parking spaces in the 7th and Walnut Street garage. His tenants use maybe five of them, and he is still required to purchase those spaces every year. Meanwhile, there's a waiting list of people who want to to buy a yearly 24-hour day parking space in the garage, and we can't satisfy it because we have this zoning ordinance on the on the books. That's the kind of you know local example of of the idea. Now, as far as bringing people in from outside of the county, I mean, as as big as Bloomington has become relative to other college towns, college cities now, uh, it's still. Uh, you know, there's still the economics of bringing people in from Spencer or Greene County. I mean, I think that our uh, bus system does – that stack is getting big. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I don't know. We just – it's all a matter of density and will people use it? Uh, how much are we willing to subsidize that transport? Okay. Now, we do have the stack here, but we have someone on the line. Let's go to Tim. Okay. Tim. Hello. Hi, did, I, Tim. did I not tell you that Tim would call? I told you he'd call. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Tim. Councilmember Tim Mayer here. Hey, thanks for the inform, informative show. Uh, I just did want to say that uh, in the consultants' proposals for the third Atwater corridors, a uh, traffic circle, one of the proposals is a traffic circle, a full-blown traffic circle at the intersections of High, Bryan, 
and third. Holy cow. So, it's, but again, you know, let's just look at it as uh, a option. proposal for discussion, and uh, there will be public meetings coming up. The mayor's office will be announcing that soon, and the public, of course, is invited to join in that conversation. Glad so, to know that. Just so you know, it's out there. All right. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, yeah, Tim. Yeah, good talking to you. Call. Good show. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, bye-bye. Okay, here we go. As far as the issues of central one-way streets running through town, I like the idea of express buses using dedicated lanes, but I think making those lanes into dedicated light rail transport that runs as far as possible in each direction would be the most sensible use for those streets. There are enough lanes to still enable those who want to drive through town to do so, but then those who don't want to drive would also have a way to travel. Your comments, Buff? I I love that comment. Uh, <laughs> again, light rail can... You know, I said buses can take 9,000, uh, but light rail can take 20,000 people. And, and ultimately, you, when you give that kind of a service to people, um, it beats driving. The thing and is so the, people start driving, and I, I think that's a great idea. I, and that's great and all, but I mean the, the highest uh, traffic roads in Bloomington, say Walnut Street, is 20,000 cars a day. So, I mean, that it's – I. I would love to see light rail too. Don't get me wrong. I don't own a car anymore, and I want to be able to get around. When you don't own a car, Bloomington is very big. When you do own a car, it can be quite small. Um, uh, right now, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, are we really willing to commit that kind of uh, money to an entire light rail system? I, I just—it's a lot of money. Well, I, I do. Th- there's a 25-year long-range transportation plan. There is no real mass transit options like dedicated bus lanes, like light rail in that plan. And I think anybody who realizes the future costs of oil Mm -hmm. needs to be saying we need a good system of mass transit. And and we need it within 25 years. It should be in that plan. Uh, How do you feel about ultralight rail? Uh, I'm a big fan of personal rapid transit, which is a very interesting new idea. It's a form of mass transit that I think could be retrofitted even to a city this small, but it's a different way of thinking uh, about how mass transit works. I don't know. What's your take on it? I'm not going to go there. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I'd just throw it out. Is that the little little stand-up things? Is that what you're talking about? The pods. That's what people uh, have have, uh, fondly uh, made fun of. Yes, I am. No, 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 no. No, I'm talking about uh, more like a system. Have you seen the movie The Incredibles? Yes. The, uh, the, the bad guy's transportation system on the island. It's it looks sort of like okay, that. And that granted, it's a cartoon, and we have the Simpsons monorail <laughs> episode to get over first. But it's a viable – I think it's a much more viable idea than light rail when you get the rail much smaller. It can fit even in a city this small. Uh, my favorite example is at taxi2000.com. But I'm not going to go any further than that because <laughs> I just want to get people to think about it. But – is it possible right. to amend this plan in significant ways to bring in those alternatives? Every five years, it, it gets a full uh, relook, yeah. but it can be amended at any time. Okay. I want to go to the phone before we continue this uh, stream of emails. And uh, Dave, I'd ask you to uh, keep your comment or question fairly quick. Okie doke. Two observations. One is uh, people always compare Portland to Bloomington, but Portland is five times the size, and they just authorized the 4,000. Uh, car parking garage downtown to encourage traffic and their prices of houses are high because of no sprawl. But the second part is um, what about a volunization of um, <laughs> drivers and where they go in their destinations instead of doing it from the parking area? See, where, uh, survey drivers. Where do you go? How far do you go? Why do you use a car? How many trips do you make per uh, trip, etc.? Then that might help you better assess where you can put uh, some kind of public transportation. I wish I knew whether he meant volonization was a compliment or a criticism. <laughs> but no, I think that's a great idea. I think that's extremely important that we need to know where people are going and why they're going there. I think that's a perfect thing that needs to happen to the bypass right now. We're, we really don't know how many of those people are really using this as a bypass. I think very few. And uh, I think one of the things that BTOP does is we're doing research. We did some research on the IU uh, uh, stadium park and ride recently to find out that 77% of the people are driving in, dri- that come there in the morning are from in town and, you know, live on existing bus routes or near them. And these are information that are, are very useful in us determining what we really should be doing to solve the problem. As you may have heard in uh, what I wrote in a recent, or what I found out, let's just say, from the planning department was that uh, currently the 
this level of service for the bypass is a level F, F being failed. And when they widen it, uh, their, their uh, model shows that the level of service will still be an F. So maybe we need to take a relook at that and see why people are getting on that road and see if we can give them an alternative. I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, you can't go down from an F, so at least we can't go down. (laughs) Some consolation, I guess. All right, let's go on with these emails. We've all seen how quickly the Internet changed communications and the delivery of documents. Transportation technology is now changing rapidly, too. Recent technological developments make automated, that is, robot-driven transportation, Mm -hmm. increasingly likely within the near future. Does the city, state, or transportation organizations take these new technologies into account in their plans and hopes for the future transportation in Bloomington? Not yet. Right. I, I would say I'm amazed, in fact, at the, uh, the projections of transportation, uh, which they do for these models to determine how much road they really need for 25 years from now. And they just predict that the current growth of, uh, of travel will continue to grow at that same rate. And I think we, you know, we can't really assume that, especially with the current, uh, you know, but, the predictions of oil, of oil prices. Right, and, like but that. you're living in a state that just raised its speed limit. <laughs> I, I, you know, uh, go figure. Yeah, the, go the, figure. The, most uh, most uh, organizations are not thinking about how you could use new technology uh, to move people. Um, if they are, they're thinking about how you can automate the highways so that you can, you know, that eventually automatic cars will be able to drive themselves. Right. I really don't want to wait that long. And I also don't think that that's a good idea for the centers of cities. You know, I mean, I don't want to have to use a car. I don't want to have to own a car. And that's the hardest thing to get people to understand. Um, you know, most people do own cars and they just can't imagine life without it. Mm-hmm. And well, I think you could still own a car and use it less. Right. I mean, that's, that's another option. That's the other thing is that we're not looking to necessarily get people to give up their cars, but we do have an interest in the in the city, at least, to getting people to use their cars a little less often. Mm-hmm. See, there's all this development that's going on along the fringes as well as downtown in Bloomington. I mean, you've got this massive development that's going up on the northwest side and mm-hmm. – and you've got things happening down on the southeast side. That massive development is outside the city limits. North Park, it's right. not in Bloomington. We don't have. Not now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's, that's when the decision-making counts. The, the city of Bloomington's uh, growth policies plan doesn't have any influence over it right now. My question is, do those sorts of developments make it more difficult to realize these sorts of uh, planning Absolutely. structures? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go on with these emails, shall we? Okay. All right, when we bought our house in Blue Ridge 18 years ago, there was bus transportation, which was soon discontinued. The problem with trying to force people to take a bus is that it is impossible when none is available. Also, <laughs> bikes for the, are for the young and vigorous, not really for us older folks. Even when we pay for premium parking stickers now, we have fewer spaces as we can no longer park in D spaces. Why does a student who lives on campus need a car? I mean, don't get me started. When I, uh, 20 years ago when I came here, uh, only seniors could have right. cars, and slowly over me time too. they started allowing everybody to have them. Um, or maybe it was already that everybody except freshmen could have cars, but either way it went to the point where they just opened the floodgates. Uh, that's a question for IU planners to answer. That's, uh, this, that's really state government. And uh, while the city... Uh, uh, officials have their opinions about things, you know. We yeah. well, you know, they compete for students with other schools, and if another school is going to let you have a car, I can see how if you're. I absolutely you know, think it would be. In the, I think that's what they're looking at. It would be in the university's interest to work more with the city in trying to find ways to make uh, transportation more effective for, for students throughout the city, not just on the campus. It seems to me like that question also shows a way in which transportation plans affect a wide range of issues. They reference how they're kind of old and doddering, but you haven't, maybe that person hasn't seen a lot of the IU professors who are 60 and 70 riding their bikes who could uh, pile drive me. Uh, and maybe if they were driving their bike instead of driving a car, we wouldn't have uh, as much of an obesity But problem. I mean, it's, it's also, I mean, uh, it, it, to be fair, you know, if they can't ride a bike, they can't ride a bike. We need to be able to provide transportation for anybody. I mean, ideally, anybody should be able to get around town by bus uh, as effectively as they can by car. But practically speaking, 
only a certain amount of town is really going to be effectively served by bus for the foreseeable future because we've built in such sprawling ways right. for the past few years. Okay, if we get at it, we have hope of finishing these emails. I have a caller that I want to get oh, to. Okay. Jesse, I'm going to ask you to keep it very quick. Sure. Thank you. Um, are you there? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Okay, sure. Uh, I just, I'm wondering if you think that sometimes some of the transportation um, plans are a little too eager, a little too advanced. Um, like, for example, the bypass, the shoulders on the bypass right now are better than half the roads. <laughs> I mean, just open them up for traffic. You know what I mean? Uh, Make it four lanes between third and tenth with basically what's there already. Well, uh, and, and move traffic for now, right now, that way, and keep these long-range goals and being able to, to drive without a car or to commute without a car in mind and work towards that, but do what needs to be done now to move traffic, especially east and west. All right. Thanks, Jesse. Yeah, I, I do think that there are uh, options that are available. In fact, you know, I think that's what most of the planning departments try to do is is take what they have and improve it. Uh, there are specific programs that are that are for that. To, to to let's just see what we can do with the pavement that we have out there right now. And uh, it does seem, though, that when it's time to go ahead and and widen something. They go all out and they mm-hmm. build much more than than uh, the studies show that they need because they want to. Um, They're already building it. Yeah, they don't want to sure. do it twenty years later. But then what it does is it it does this. It creates induced traffic, um, which means that okay, now they realize okay, it's so There's easy to get from road. Yeah. it's so easy to get now from Ellettsville to Bloomington that. You know, gonna we're going to build out there. We're going to sprawl out there. Yeah. That that may not be answering your question, but um, but I understand what you're saying, and I think there is an attempt to do that. All right, we've got less. We got about ninety seconds. So it's all right. Well, this is a, a good email. It says, "If you're a Bloomington resident, we should say this is from Kent McDaniel uh, Transportation Services at IU. Uh, if you're a Bloomington resident who commutes to Indianapolis to work, carpool and vanpool assistance is available. Just call the Central Indiana Commuter Service at three one seven three two seven ride." Or there's another number. If you want to call us, we can give you these phone numbers. Uh, the CICS is holding a Van Pool organizational luncheon meeting in Indianapolis at noon on April 27th for Bloomington residents that work in Indy and are interested in finding out about the services they offer. Call right away and make your reservation. CICS can help match you with other commuters who have similar destinations and schedules so you can save money on commuting expenses, time, etc. cetera. Uh, in some cases, CICS can even offer you a guaranteed ride home for those emergencies that sometimes occur on a day when you don't have your own car available. So that's okay. a great option. We're going to have to leave it there. I'm afraid the response we've gotten here shows that we're going to have to do another program on this very topic in the near future. I do want you to give a quick 25-word plug for the event on Monday. Yeah, well, um, Donald Shoup, the the absolute um, uh, expert on parking. He is being sponsored, in fact, in Indianapolis by CICS. Just give us the time and the. It is okay. It is Monday, seven p.m. The public forum at the city council, city council chambers. chambers, and one thirty in the afternoon. If you can't make the public forum, okay. And thank you. And we should reference people if they want to find out more. Contact BTOP at Bloomington.in. US. I want to thank our guests this afternoon, Steve Bullen and Buff Brown. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, Bob Salzberg, producer Nicole Brooks, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Will Murphy. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times.